today's sermon passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 58. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So our Father and our God, we pray that you would teach us from your word. Please, Lord, take these truths and... and, and Press them upon us in a way that we would believe and see and be changed. Help us, Father, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So good to see all you guys again this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here at Redeemer, we've been considering for the last couple of months um, the resurrection of Jesus and, and what that 
means for us as the followers of Jesus. And um, today, we're going to finish that series looking at the passage which Austin just read for us. Um, Next week, we start Exodus. So grab a Bible, start reading. We'll finish sometime in 2025, something like that. We don't know. Um, But here's the... Here's the driving reality of this passage today. Is that the resurrection brings to, the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings to his people an everlasting life that is good, joyful, and God glorifying. And we have that to look forward to. And so in this passage, Paul is writing to a young church with lots of questions, and particularly questions about death and eternal life. And Paul is is really driving home that our faith is an eternal faith, and that the gift of that Eternally belonging to Jesus is an experience of God's glory that our current earthly bodies are not ready to imagine. So the Lord has something for us that is good and beyond even our current comprehension. But Paul wants these Christians to be shaped by that confidence. A world where death is finally defeated and the spiritual eternal body is possessed by all who are in Christ to know and to enjoy him forever. So let's look at this passage now. Um, To begin, if you want to take notes, the first point is the last enemy. And we actually have to go back into last week's passage a little bit. Back up to verses 23 through 26. And Austin referred to this earlier. But what Paul argues is that, that God has great intentionality in how he has ordered his world. That nothing about where we are in this moment is a surprise to God or a threat to God. But we live in a world where death and sin still exist. And as long as death and sin still exist, then, then the scripture would call on us to look to Jesus and to his returning. So Paul writes, beginning in verse 23, But each in his order, Christ the firstfruits, then in his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
So what Paul is saying to us is that we live in this strange in-between world where Christ came, Christ lived, Christ died, Christ rose again, Christ ascended into heaven, and he currently is the Lord over all things. In particular, he's Lord over his people and over his church and building his kingdom. But yet we live kind of as citizens of two worlds because we live in this world that still has sin. It still has sickness. It still has death. It still has evil. It still has decay. And we are ultimately waiting on Christ to return, is what the passage says, to put an end to all of his enemies. So what, what, what really is being pointing the church here is our hope is in Christ, and in particular, in his return. Because there is no ism that's going to solve all the problems of our broken world. Only Christ will. Now, side note, that doesn't mean us as ambassadors, we don't labor to take away evil and take away death and take away suffering and do good and spread love and spread. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying there is no solution to the brokenness of this world except Christ returning. So this passage says what we are awaiting is Christ returning. Here's the second thing it says. Christ is ruling today. He still has enemies, and he hasn't vanquished them, but he's ruling today. So Jesus is in control at every moment. So we don't have to worry that our our collective faith is unraveling before our eyes. And we don't have to worry that, that somehow all the crazy things that we're encountering undermine our faith. They actually validate it to a point. We live in a sinful, fallen world. And the scripture makes that very clear. And our hope is in Christ. And let's look to him. So then, okay, say the Corinthians... Well, help us navigate this reality of death and decay and and earthly bodies if our hope is in Christ. And so that leads then to the second point. Our hope is in a returning Christ. But this world cannot... This world fallen and broken as it is, is not ready to inherit the kingdom of God. And that includes our earthly mortal bodies. And so the second point, the problem with flesh and blood. And what what Paul is going to argue coming all the way down to verse 50 is that our earthly bodies are limited by their earthiness, their temporariness, their fallenness, their inadamness. And that limitation is not fit for the eternal kingdom of God. So Christ will remove all of the barriers by giving his people resurrection bodies where we can have full capacity to engage with the, and enjoy and reflect the glory of God. So here's how the argument goes. These current bodies have to die 
He makes the point that just like a plant has to die so that the seed can be planted and new life can come, this fleshly body must die. Because as verse 50 says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable. So our earthly vessel must go away via death so that we can experience the fullness of the glory of God in a resurrected body. So death is a part of the plan of how God moves the earthly to take on the eternal. And then what Paul does in verses 40 through 49 is he makes a comparison between the earthly and the heavenly, between Adam and Christ. And he points out all the things in our current vessel that must go away. So he says, first of all, your current body is earthly. It's natural. It's perishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's filled with weakness. It's from the earth. And it's made in the image of Adam. So it's earthly. It's natural. It's perishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's filled with weakness. It's from the earth. And it's made in the image of Adam. And we can resonate with with all of those things in our current world. And in our current experience of this world. And in our current flesh. And and what Paul is going to argue here is that, that, that that will just have to die Because the Lord has a resurrection eternal body for us that is fit to fully enjoy his eternal glory. And so he says this this other body is heavenly. It's spiritual. It's imperishable. It's made for glory. It experiences the power of God. It's from heaven, and it's made in the image of Christ. And so what Paul is really driving home here is our flesh and blood is a hindrance to us being ready to inherit the kingdom of God fully. And so we are to look for something greater Something better, something not hidden in weakness, and something that can fully enjoy the glory of God. And that is a resurrection body. So friends, what this means is what we see is not the end. And what we feel is not what defines us. This being riddled with sin and death and decay and struggle and illness and mortality is not the end of who we are. 
And so I think the implication for us is, number one, our bodies cannot last forever. Our being cannot last forever. And there's a really delicate fine line here, right? Like take care of your body. Don't be stupid. But don't believe that you can eradicate death because we can't. Our hope is not found in how we fix our current body, but it's found in what Christ has for us when this one is gone. It'll be resurrected. It'll be made new. It'll be made whole. It'll be complete. But nothing you can buy off Facebook is going to get you there. Only Jesus will. And the second implication is that what we need doesn't come from the earth. It comes from God himself. Only God himself can change who we are. Only God himself can give us his spirit. Only God himself can take these bodies and make all things new in them and let us enjoy him forever. Our hope is in Christ. Which leads to the third point, forever changed. What we all need is to be forever changed by Jesus. And that's the promise of the gospel. Verse 51, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? What Paul offers us is Christ will change all of his people forever into his image, into this resurrected body that will enjoy him and dwell with him and experience his goodness and his mercy forever. Paul says we may not all physically die, but everyone who is in Christ at his coming will be changed. What we need comes from Christ, and what we are looking to is Christ's return to make all things new in his kingdom and in his world and for his people. And he says when that comes, that physical death is defeated, that everlasting death is defeated, that sin is defeated, and all the consequences of sin are defeated forever. Friends, our great longing is for the day when Christ returns to finally and definitively defeat sin and to defeat death and to make all things new. So the passage is telling us we kind of live in this between two worlds right now, the, the belonging to Christ but in a fallen world. But, it, but what Paul is saying here is the fallen world part's going to go away. And when it goes away, what is left will be 
an indescribable eternal joy in the presence of an ever-loving God who cares for his people. And to be celebrated will be the Son of God who at his own expense took our sin and took our death and took our defeat so that we could dwell with him forever. Our hope is in the Christ who is returning to change his people. So let the mystery be made known. We look for Christ and we need Christ to finally and definitively do something in us and through us and for us that will last forever. So you struggle with sin. Welcome to the club. Fight against it like crazy. Fight by faith. But know that your deliverance comes when Christ returns. Your world is more than you can handle. Dejection, defeat, sorrow. I'm sorry. Fight to believe. Fight to trust. Fight to have hope. But know that the ultimate deliverance we need comes when Christ returns and makes all things new. Our world is filled with injustice, hatred. Fight against it. Stand against it. And yet understand that ultimately Christ has to return to make all things new. Our hope is in the Christ who is returning to defeat sin and death and make all things new. Therefore, in verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If there is any victory for us to experience, it comes from Jesus. So let us be found clinging to him. What do we do now then? You're you're giving us this future-oriented vision of what Christ will do. What do we do now? Leads to the last point. Living now in the Lord. That's what verse 58 is devoted to. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So we go from the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. There is victory. We know it in Christ. Praise be his name. Now what do we do? How do we live? How do we move? How do we order our days? Be steadfast. Immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Now, steadfast and immovable are similar, but there's some nuance. Steadfast means remain firmly committed to Christ. If our victory comes from Christ, then be steadfastly committed to him. Be steadfastly focused upon him. Be steadfastly looking to him to be your Lord and Redeemer and Guide and Shepherd. Immovable, I think, means not moving. See what I did there? Immovable means not playing around, looking for other solutions, but clinging to and looking to Christ. Be firmly fixed on Jesus. He's our hope. We may not fully see it now, but cling to him. Then he says, be fruitful. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, the work of the Lord here is not working at a church. 
The work of the Lord here is not, getting a, is not having a title in a Christian organization. The work of the Lord is believing the gospel, sharing the gospel, following Christ, displaying the love of Christ, inviting others to the love of Christ, doing, doing good things because of Christ, building the church of Christ, spreading the kingdom of Christ. That's the work of the Lord, and we can all do that in our households and in our workplaces and everywhere that we are. But he says, be busy doing the work of the Lord. Be steadfast, be immovable, and be busy wanting the kingdom of God to grow and to become more known in the here and now. Believe in the then, believe in the returning, but don't make peace with just sitting on your hands until he returns, but be abounding in the work of the Lord. And then he says, do the work of the Lord trusting the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You know, one of the hardest things to me about the work of the Lord is it's it's often not quantifiable. You know, sometimes I wish I had a job like like guys that do like landscaping. I know they work way harder than I. But I mean, it feels pretty good to show up at somebody's house and it's like ratty and disgusting and you put in like eight hours and then you turn around and you go, that looks good. I did something today, right? There's a whole host of work in the world that offers you that type of immediate feedback. The work of the Lord typically doesn't work that way. We're left with, I think I did the right thing in that conversation I had with you today. Maybe the Lord will honor that. But the fruit of that comes down the line, right? I think we prayerfully made the right decision over here today, but the fruit of that comes down the line. So he says, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain, that if we're working to build his kingdom, it's not going to be in vain because his kingdom will be built. We don't have to to measure our labors by their fruits. We measure them by trusting the Lord who builds his kingdom. So Paul seems to say that this eternal theology is very transformative in the here and now. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So so I want for us to not place too much hope in that which is dying and going away, but to place our hope in the Christ who is redeeming and restoring and making all things new. And then I want us to trust and stand and believe and love and serve that Lord earnestly because we believe that he is using us to build his kingdom even here and even now. So our Father and our God, pray that you would take these words which you've spoken to us and that you would work them deeply into the the mind and the heart, the lives of your people. Shape us, Lord, to glorify you. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen.